get the privilege of sharing uh, just God's word. And I thought I'd start with um, just sharing today really about why. Why, why a new church? But why and, and what kind of church are we hoping to be? And uh, the title of this message is called Building Bethany's. And I'll explain why just now. Because uh, uh, there was a little town in Israel called Bethany, which is about, uh, it's literally over the Mount of Olives. It's really close to Jerusalem, which is the capital city. And that little town, Bethany, was a place that was very precious to Jesus. Um, and so we want to build places that are very precious to Jesus. And so, to, uh, and I'm really trusting that this community will become that, is a, a place that Jesus loves to hang out with, people that Jesus loves to be with. And a few years ago, uh, I was uh, traveling back from uh, Namibia. We'd done a bit of uh, work into some of the churches there. And there were two of us, both leading churches at the airport, and it was a two and a half hour wait to get our flight out. So you're standing at an international airport thinking, so what are we going to do now? We thought, hey, why don't we witness to somebody? So there was a bar on one side of the airport, and we figured there were a whole lot of unsaved guys sitting at the bar counter. So we, figured, we moved into the bar and literally, you know, joined up on the counter with the bar stools and started just talking to some guys there. And the conversation was going really well, and we were slowly leaning it towards Christianity. And the next thing they asked, the terrible question, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so it gets a bit awkward at that point, because if you start saying, I lead a church while I'm a pastor, you know, they, it just gets, everyone stops swearing, and they, all, they act all like they're Christians, and it's just, it's not really uh, conducive to the rest of the conversation. So I was thinking, how do we, how do we um, keep these guys engaged with us without them putting their guard up? And I was trying to, clutching, really, trying to find an answer. And my friend popped up brilliantly, and he said this. We get paid to look after somebody else's bride. And the guys were like, no. And we were like, <laughs> we're like yeah, yeah, we get paid to do that. And it was a, a great way of just deflecting the question and, you know, ultimately actually got to witness out of it that we get paid to look after somebody else's bride. And that's actually the church. The church is the bride of Jesus. And we get paid to look after you and to make you beautiful for that day. And I think that is the hope of why we're here. That's the hope of why you're here, is that we can help you to look stunning on that day when He returns. And obviously, He's interested not so much in your outward looks, but in actually who you are. And so we have this incredible responsibility and joy, actually, of making you beautiful. And it's a bit, it's a lot of work. Have you ever seen a wedding, how much work that is? It's like, man, it's like serious. I mean, I think you lose a year of your life just preparing for your wedding. And, um, and in some ways, we've got a lot of work to do to, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jonah. <laughs> so um, Bethany is this place that, um, and why Bethany is because, again, as I've mentioned, it was a very precious town to Jesus. And when you read your Bible, you see he keeps coming back to this little town. And it's an insignificant town. I mean, if you go to Israel, you, you, you're not even going to go there. But I think it is one of the most significant towns in God's heart. Uh, and Bethany, I want to just up front tell you, it means the house of figs, the place where figs are found, the house of figs. Beth Ania is literally where you get that translated from the Hebrew. And, and so this little town, literally walking distance from Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And we, the first time we really see Jesus going there, and I want us to dig into this to see why did he love this town. Because I think we can learn from that town as a church. And maybe just to help us understand, in Israel, Israel was kind of like the nation of God. It was kind of like the church of the day. And it was made up of a lot of different towns and cities. And so every town was unique and different. And um, in some ways, those towns represented church communities today because it's a gathering of people. They would gather together. They would have a, a synagogue. They would meet there. And that town, a Jewish town, would normally revolve itself around Actually, it's religion, it's worship. And in some ways, they represent churches today. All right, you get that. When Jesus walks through Israel, he's, he's finding towns. And when he walks today, he walks through his church, and he'll find unique communities that are special to him. And not all communities uh, grab his heart the same. And I know that's kind of a strange statement to make. I'm hoping as I dig into this, you'll see what I mean. Not all communities grab Jesus the same way. And so Jesus comes to, uh, to the town for the first time in Luke 10, verse 38. Could you put it up on the board for me? And, and so we read together, Now it came to pass, as they, the disciples, uh, went, that, that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet. 
and heard his word. Let's carry on. Uh, okay, we'll go back later. We'll stop there. We'll come back to just now. We'll carry on just now. So the first thing I want us to see about this town, and this is the first time he goes there, but you'll see as we look at this morning, he keeps going back to Bethany. It's a town that is very, very special to him, and you will see that as we carry on. But the first thing I want us to see about why did he keep going there and wh- and is when he came there, he was, the Bible says there was a, a lady there, his name was Martha, and she owned a home, and her brother and sister Mary and Lazarus lived with her. And the first thing we see is that Martha received him into her home. That word received is a, quite a significant word. It's actually something that's not common for Jesus because the Bible tells us that when he came unto his own people, his people received him not. And that's in John 1 verse 11. You could actually put that up for me, John 1 verse 11. He came to that which was his own, Israel, but his own did not receive him. In other words, Jesus, when he came city to city, town by town, he'd walk into a town and the town would normally reject him. And I was in Israel, I've been there a few times, I can't wait to go again and take a team with me just to train, But because uh, you learn so much. But there's a little, I stood on the hilltop that they dragged Jesus and they wanted to throw him off of the hilltop to kill him. I've actually stood on that hilltop and seen where they would have thrown him and miraculously he got away. He came to his own people and his own people didn't like what he said and didn't like what he stood for. And that's a profound thought. That he could come to his own people. And they thought they were his. They were like, man, we're the children of Abraham. And he would say, no, you're not. If you were the children of Abraham, you would receive me. You would, you would receive me. You would love me like your father Abraham did. And as we grapple with this, I, the, the question is, and we'll look at this in a bit of detail just now. How does the church of our time receive Jesus? Because remember, they had a whole lot of ideas about what they thought he should be like. And he didn't fit those ideas. And so they rejected him. He came to his own and his own received him not. He said in another place in Luke 9, 58, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, I can't find any single place that'll embrace me and receive me into their homes. And that's profound, that Jesus would come to Israel and Israel would reject him. As we bring this through to the church today, a lot of people just think, well, all churches, you know, he, he's stoked, he's with them, he's, he's right in there. But actually, we read in the Bible that that's not actually true, that actually the state of Israel is actually a reflection very much of the end times church. And so the Bible tells us in many places about the church in the end times. Now, we, in some ways, are the new Israel. We, not, not, we are and we aren't. We're different. We kind of engrafted into Christ. But we represent the people of God. So I don't want to say we, okay, let me clarify that. Okay, before I get some people freaking attacking me afterwards. But um, so, so Jesus comes to Israel and Israel rejects him. What happens when Jesus comes to the church? And in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, we read, you can put it up. For the time will come, and this is talking about the church, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. In other words... We know the Bible tells us that in the end times, you're going to have churches that are built around people, not around Jesus. And we're going to want to hear what we want to hear, not what he wants. And that's exactly what Israel did. They wanted certain things. He didn't fit that paradigm. So they rejected the real Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3 verse uh, 1 to 6, uh, but mark this. There'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be, and this is again in the church, lovers of themselves. So that's basically when you go to a church and every Sunday is all about you. We're going to make it all about you. In fact, I know churches in the city, when they get together, they decide as a team, how can we make next Sunday awesome for people? In other words, we're making it about us and not about Jesus. People choose churches that way. I find a church that I like versus I'm looking for a church that Jesus likes. And so we've actually developed a Christianity that's that. We become lovers of ourselves instead of lovers of God. Lovers of money, and that's typically your prosperity gospel, so much through Africa. Come to Jesus, and he will make you awesome. He's going to bless you, and he's going to make you rich. And lovers of money, uh, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful. And so you've got these, just these stories. And and in verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness but a denying of its power. They'll have a form of Christianity, look like Christianity, but it denies the real power 
of the gospel. And so these are kind of concerning scriptures for me as I read them, because I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And then here's a classic one in Revelation 3 verse 20. Jesus comes to a church, and, 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 and this is to a church. This is a bunch of Christians meeting in a place called Laodicea. They're hanging out just like this, having an awesome service, saying, thank you, Jesus, for your presence. And Jesus pulls in, and he says, here I am. And I want you to know where he is. I stand at the door and knock. When we were setting up this morning, somebody closed that door. Didn't realize you need this kind of card to open it again. And so we were locked out. Some, luckily, some guys were locked in. And I remember we were standing outside trying to get in. And eventually started banging on the door because we couldn't get in. The picture here is you've got Jesus locked out, banging on the door, wanting to get in. And then he says, if anyone hears my voice, in other words, if anyone's in there that's actually listening to me and hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So you've got this picture of Jesus locked out of his church. Why? Because we've already read what it's going to be like. It's going to be a church that's orientated around us. And like Israel, he'll come into his own. He'll knock on the door because he wants to be with us. But actually, we have to respond to him like Bethany did. We have to receive him so that we have Jesus with us. And there will be many churches that won't listen, that won't open the door. And so Jesus ends up every Sunday banging on the door. And they're meeting inside saying, thank you for your presence, Lord. We're two or more gathered in your name. There you are amongst them. But actually, in your name means that we are in him. In other words, we coming in him, we have received him properly. We've received the real Jesus. And one of the most freaky scriptures for me, and, and one, the one that I really, really always grapple with my own heart on, is in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. He writes to, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is again a church. It's a bunch of Christians. You've got elders, deacons, I mean, the whole toot. And, and he says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus different to the one we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So Jethro, come stand with me here. So this is Jethro. And for, and for my story, this is the real Jesus, okay? I know he looks like Jesus, got Jesus' heart. Okay, this is the real Jesus. And this is the Jesus that wants to come in and to be embraced within the church. And then you can be the false Jesus. <laughs> and now you've got a different Jesus from the one. Now, the one that Paul preaches is the real one. And this church has actually received a false Jesus, a different Jesus to the real one, which means Jesus is outside knocking on the door. And they're going, Jesus, thank you your presence among us. Then he says a different spirit from the one, a different spirit from the Holy Spirit. So there's some kind of movement, power moving, but it's not the Holy Spirit's power. And they're preaching a different gospel. Do you get that? Thank you, guys. You have to say, you've got to be very secure to be the false Jesus. So, <laughs> so but how scary is that? That you can have churches that actually think they're receiving Jesus, but they're receiving the wrong Jesus, and the real Jesus is locked out. And so when we look at Bethany, the question is, and it's something we have to grapple with, have we received the real Jesus? And, and, and will we embrace him when he comes? Because the real Jesus is actually, he's actually he, he kind of challenging, isn't he? Kind of messes with our comfort zone. It's kind of like when he comes, actually, there's a response that's appropriate where we literally yield and say, well, we recognize that you are God. We hear you and we yield to you so that whatever you want, we'll do. And I'll never forget as a young Christian starting to learn those lessons. I, I came to church. I, was, uh, I, was, I had long hair. I had hair longer than these ladies in the front, and I got saved. I thought I was so cool, man. I was like... You know, uh, you know, and, and I, I, was, I surfed well. I was a wave, wave, in those days, I wave ski surf. I surf now, stand up, but I used to wave ski surf. I was eighth in the world. I had thick attitude, and I arrived at church. I got saved, and I loved Jesus. And I remember just standing there and thinking, you know, when worship started, I would be like, like, I'm not going to lift my hand or clap because that just looks like nerdy, and I was like, not me. I'm cool. So I would stand there. I mean, I'm standing, and I'm singing, but I'm not going to go further than that because I was uncomfortable with that. I didn't want to go further. This is like, I'm here. And I never forget the Lord starting to challenge me. And one day we were singing the song, I lift my hands to the coming king. 
And I'm not lifting my hands. I'm just singing the song. Like, I lift my hands to the coming king. And the Lord speaks to me and he says, lift your hands. You're singing it, now do it. And I was like, uh, I, I've said big waves. I've done crazy stuff. I, I'm not someone that battles with fear, but I was like, there is no ways I'm lifting my hands in this church. There's no ways. Like, it's just, I, I thought if I lift my everyone's going to be conscious. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not going to enjoy this, so I'm not going to do this. I, I just like, no. And I remember his presence just lifting from me. I could feel his presence. I knew I'd hurt him. I knew I'd grieve God. I was like, oh my goodness, I've grieved God. I said, Lord, please, come back. Give me another shot. And the chorus came around again, and his presence came. And I lift my hands, and I was like, oh, because actually, I was, stri- I really, stri- I was like, I can't, I can't. And his presence lifted again, and I was like, ah. And I knew, actually, that in some ways, I wasn't listening to his voice. You see, he was knocking on my heart saying, Andrew, I want to come in. I want to actually have intimate fellowship with you. But if I come in, it's on my terms, not on your terms. Because I'm God, you see, and you're the created being. And so I need to establish this relationship in the proper footing. And I was like, ah. And so his presence lifts, and I'm like, oh, no, I've hurt God. I've grieved God again. And I I was like, God, please, Nick, just one more time. Come, give me your presence again, and I'll, I'll lift my hands. And... And his presence didn't come again. And I remember just, on, uh, the chorus came and he didn't come. And I was like, and I went through the chorus once, I lift my hands, and now I'm just singing. And I'm very conscious of the fact that God, in some ways, I, had a, I didn't, you see, I didn't, I didn't open the door when he knocked. And so I got so desperate, I started going, hang on, I've really messed up here. Like, you think lifting your hands, it's a big mess up. When God says lift your hands and you don't, it's, it's sin. And I was like, and I remember getting on my knees going, okay, do you see I'm desperate? Please, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And would you come upon me again? And I will lift my hands. And I remember his presence found me on that floor. And I remember getting up and lifting my hands. And that was the beginning of a downward slide in terms of crazy stuff. Because in worship, I've even done ballet in church. <laughs> because I, <laughs> like tutu stuff because there is a sense that God was establishing that he was my God and I was his beloved but I was a cr- I'm a creature man I'm made I'm and so there is a sense that we need to receive the real Jesus and I want to say to you one of the challenges that I, we want to preach the real Jesus we want to preach the cross we want to preach come and lose your life we want to teach you how to actually open your ears and listen to him and do what he asked you to do because otherwise we can play church and think we're the sons of Abraham, which Israel did. And he will say, no, if you were the sons of Abraham, you would receive me. Does this make sense? And so I want to challenge you, if you're joining here or you're new here, you, there is a sense that Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, if you don't feel like it, that's fine. He, he calls us to obey him, to love him, to give ourselves to him, and to receive him as he is. All right. So let's, can we receive him? The second thing is, in Luke 10, 38, Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at his feet and heard his word. The Greek here is actually in the continuing sense. It it speaks of went on listening to his word. Now, the challenge with church is we've grown used to, remember the Bible says we'll gather teachers to tell us what our itchy is like to hear. So the worst thing you can do to me at the end of this is say, that was a really cool preach. Thank you so much. I might come back because I really enjoyed it and walk out and don't let it change you. Because actually, that is not what this means. When the Bible uses the word heard or listen, it means when I say I've heard, it, it, maybe your wife understands this better than her husband does sometimes. Because sometimes with my bookie, you know, I'll come back and, and maybe I, there's something that I'm neglecting in the house or maybe, and she'll sometimes say to me, honey, can I speak to you about something? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of on my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, no, babes, I, w- I, want you, I want you to listen. But no, I'm listening. I'm and then she'll drop something on me. Like, I feel like maybe, uh, maybe you need to spend more time with any our daughter, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, you're not hearing me. Like, you need to hear me. She knows hearing her means it sinks in, goes through my head to my heart, and it's going to change what I do. And hearing in the Bible sense is that. It's hearing. In other words, it's not having your ears tickled. It's having your heart moved. 
it's a place where you actually listen properly and you go, you know what? I am actually going to do what it is that, uh, that, that Jesus is asking me to do. In Acts 2.42, we read what they did. They devoted themselves. They gave of themselves fully to the apostles' teaching. They listened to the word of God, and they gave of themselves to do whatever it was that he asked. And, and here's an illustration. I mean, I, I, I mean, we talk about, um, you know we're not prosperity, and this is a crazy thing to do at the first meeting, but uh, hopefully you've seen my heart well enough. He gets up and talks about, you know, tithes and offerings. I'm, I'm just using this as an illustration. Uh, your money doesn't affect me. It affects the kingdom of God, because there's enough other people that are faithful, <laughs> and I'm the last of the Joshian elders to get fired when it comes to money. <laughs> but here's the thing. You see, Jesus talks about being faithful with worldly things. And if we can't be faithful with worldly things, who will trust us with eternal things? So worldly things is money. So he comes to us and he says, I want you to bring a tenth to the storehouse. Because if we bring in the tenth, I can actually advance my kingdom. And we can hear that and go, yeah, I can't really do that this month. He knows if he can't obey you, if you want to obey him and not listening to him, in worldly stuff, who is ever going to trust you with true spiritual things? I've often wondered how many people's destiny in God is never found because they weren't found faithful with little things like money. See, the Lord tests us on these things. But to hear it means whatever he says, I will do, no matter how painful and difficult it is. And, and, and that means listening to him. Mary sat at his feet and listened to him. Bethany's are the kind of places where people devote themselves to hearing God, to hearing His Word, and to respond properly. Does this make sense? So to be the kind of church that Jesus is going to keep coming to, we actually have to listen. He said to the Pharisees at one point, you are ever hearing but not perceiving. Your hearts have grown callous. You know, your heart grows callous. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you. It's, it, it is, the Bible says, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. If you, your heart goes, you, you're pretty much gone. Do you know your heart grows calloused? I used to uh, whitewater kayak years ago. So I used to go love waterfalls and stuff like that. And um, when you start using a paddle, your hands, when you start, aren't used to the rubbing. So it's really fun for the first little bit. And then you start to get blisters forming. And blisters are your hands way of saying, you're rubbing me too much, you need to stop. But because often I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I'll push through and eventually your blisters get bigger and bigger and eventually they burst. And, and that's really, really painful. But you push through that and you keep doing the sport and eventually your blisters become hardened, they become calluses. And once you've got a callus, I remember my hands used to be so calloused, I could take a needle and stick it through my hand this way, obviously not this way because I'll get through my callus eventually, but I had big enough calluses that I could stick a needle in and out and thread my callus. I could not feel it. And here's the problem when, the, how's, that, how's that your heart goes calloused? God's word comes and it's, pr it's preached to you and you hear it and what the word of God does is it pricks you. It's like a sword. It, ah, how, you know what I'm talking about? Ah, how many of you had God? And you're like, oh, Lord, I need to change that. Oh, my goodness. And it's like this, ah. And the Holy Spirit starts pressing it on your heart. And then you have a response. If you yield, you stop the rubbing. And so immediately, the thing never gets beyond it. It never becomes a bliss that never bursts because you responded. But if you loving your sin as much as I love whitewater kayaking, because sin is just being a disobedient to God. You carry on doing it because it's, it's more fun to carry on than it is to stop. And then the thing gets more and more painful because God loves you. And so he disciplines you. So he keeps pressing those things on your heart to try and get you to obey him. And if you, if you, if you just keep ignoring him, eventually it gets really ugly. It bursts. And then you get a callous. And when your heart goes calloused, you actually become like a Pharisee. You'll become ever hearing but not perceiving because your heart has grown hard. Every time I learned this, every time God's word came, I knew I had to respond with yield. Because every time I didn't, on any one single subject, the Lord will keep pressing that subject because he wants me to become like him. And if I don't yield, I actually eventually become calloused in my heart. And that means I'll come to church and I'll literally walk away and say, I got nothing out of it. And it wasn't the preacher's fault. It wasn't the word of God's fault. It was my heart's fault. Because I've, grown, I had a, I've grown, developed a calloused heart. The Bible says it with your heart you believe. So if your heart goes calloused, 
It's not long that your faith starts to die. And eventually, church is a mission. I don't know if I want to go anymore. They keep asking me to do things. I just want to enjoy Sunday. I work the whole week. What are you doing? You're now killing your faith. You're actually dest- you're destroying your faith. And before long, you leave the church and you just think, you know what, it's just me and Jesus. But you've, lo- you've lost everything. You've lost everything. Because we know the Bible says, don't tell me I love God if I can't love my brothers, if I can't devote myself like they did to the fellowship and to the apostles' teaching. Does it make sense? How many Christians today haven't got calloused hearts? And the problem is, you're not listening. And so actually you think you've got Jesus, but you've got the wrong Jesus. You've got the Jesus that's scratching your itchy ears. You haven't got the Jesus of the Bible. Does this make sense? The third thing is he served. And that just sounds funny. I always, whenever I heard Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, maybe just read, uh, let's read, uh, sorry, have you got that next scripture? Yeah, I think it's verse 41, 10, I think it's 40, 41, and 42. But Martha, this is uh, the next part of, remember we started Mary, Martha, Mary, Mary's house, Lazarus was there. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister had left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So the background, quickly, just to give you the, head, the headlines. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are at this house. Martha receives Jesus. They're sitting together listening to him. Mary, and at one point, uh, Martha starts, and she's the hostess. So you've got to imagine this. Jesus preaches longer than Andrew does. So it's, it's, been, it's been going on a bit. And, uh, and she's as a hostess, obviously thinking, man, it's getting late. I've got to, f- I've got to cook. So she moves over to the kitchen to start making food. And while she's in the kitchen, she expects Jesus will follow her. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't follow us. He wants us to follow him. He says, my servant will feel I am. So she's in the kitchen. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. And Martha's hearing this garbled background Jesus talking. And now she's not in on it. She doesn't know what's going on. And in some ways, I can imagine her cooking in the kitchen and starting to fume. And that's the language. It's, it's angry language. If you go look at the Greek, it's very angry language. She comes back to Jesus. She's not a happy camper. She's like a miftry. Like she's ready to leave that church because no one loves her and she's left alone to do all the work, you know. And she comes back and she's like, Jesus, and it's angry. Tell my, I mean, you start to tell Jesus what to do. This is not a good place to start. <laughs> tell my sister to come and help me. Why am I doing all the work here? And actually what you've got is you've got a lady here that, actually saw things that she thought needed to get done. But the thing is this, Jesus said, my servant must be where I am. If Jesus is preaching, just listen. Don't come up with your own good ideas. Don't run off and start coming up with your own things. Do what it is he wants you to do. And so she, the Bible says, was distracted with much serving. The needs that were there took her eyes off of what Jesus was doing. And as soon as you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to get frustrated. He said, remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and you will be much fruit. As soon as you pull yourself out of him, things get tough. And so Martha is distracted. The problem here is she's not, it's not serving that's a problem, which is what I was always taught. She said Mary, Martha, and Lazarus taught. And like, Mary sits at Jesus' feet. So much better to do that than to go and serve. I remember as a young Christian hearing that, I'm a selfish surfer. It's like, that is the coolest thing. I don't have to serve. I can just sit at his feet. I'm just going to be, and it's more spiritual to do that. But actually, that's not what actually this is saying. Because serving is a big part of what it is to love. And, 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 and there is a real sense that we are to, to serve Jesus. And, and I love this. He actually says things like this. And let me ask you a question quickly about serving. Let's say while I'm talking. Suddenly the door opens, and you hear, da-da, a dove flies in, and Jesus is standing there blazing white at the door in all his glory. And what are you, firstly, what are you going to do? And then imagine, because he did appear to the disciples, he could do that. Then he comes in, and he sits down and just starts listening. So I just carry on preaching, and you're like, oh, my goodness, Jesus sitting at the back of this church. What are you going to do as I say amen at the end of my preach? 
I imagine most of us are going to have the, I want to be there first. Like, get everyone out the way. I am, Jesus is at the back. You're going to run to him. You're going to be probably falling on his feet saying, I can't believe you're here. I'll make you Jesus not to recover what we did earlier. <laughs> I can't believe you're here, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And then you're going to be probably thinking like this. I mean, he's hanging out and he's, he's ch- chatting with guys, chatting with you. You're going to be like, I can't believe this. Who's going to, I can't wait to get out of here. Let's go. And, is anyone going to do that? Even if there is a roast in the oven, are you gonna are you gonna go to the roast, or are you just gonna let that thing dry out and just hang out with you? And then I guarantee most of us, if we do have a roast in the oven, I'm gonna be doing this. Man, I've got a roast in my oven. <laughs> do you want to come to my house at the end of this meeting? And like, yeah, like seriously, we are gonna lay it on for you because Jesus, like, I want to serve you, I want to bless you, too. And Jesus says this. He, he says at the end, he's going to separate those who are his and those who aren't his. And he'll say to those that aren't, actually, that are his, he'll say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And they'll say, when did we give you something to eat, Jesus? When did we give you something to drink? And he'll say, what you gave and did for the least of these little ones of mine, you did it for me. Here's the amazing thing. Actually, for Jesus... Every single person sitting alongside you actually are members of his body. And he says, as you give them water, you're giving me water. As you invite them for the roast, you're inviting me for the roast. As you're staying afterwards longer because you love them and you want them to feel loved, you're actually loving me. So Jesus, in that sense, is here. And our response determines whether we are Bethany or we're the kind of church that, oh my goodness, this is going to I can't wait to get out of here. And we just, you see, Jesus looks for communities that will love one another. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. Oh my goodness. As he's loved me, so I must love one another. Church is never going to be the place that you arrive late and leave early. Not if you understand it his way. Church is the kind of place that you come, and as I go around greeting people and loving people, I'm loving him. And he keeps a record of everything. And he sees my love for him, and so actually loves to hang out in Bethany's, places like that. Does it make sense? So I would call you to receive the real Jesus, to listen to him, and actually to serve him. And we know that serving isn't a problem, because a little bit later, um, we see, I'll actually show you just now, right at the end when I land this. Jesus comes back to Bethany, and Martha is serving in the kitchen again. But this time, there's no rebuke for her. Serving is a big part of what made him come there because he knew they would actually, in fact, the Bible tells us they often would make feasts in his honor, serving him. All right. So let's, you with me? So let me quickly try and land this in the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, hopefully less. So, I want us to do now, remember I started off, Bethany is known as the house of figs. It's a house where fruit is found. And do you know that Jesus is looking for fruit? Do you know that Israel is actually called the fig tree? And I'll give you the scripture for that. In Jeremiah, I've jumped down a little bit there. In Jeremiah 8 verse 13, God calls Israel the fig tree, and they were known as the fig tree. He says, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. This is actually a prophecy about what we're about to see. I'll take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There'll be no grapes on the vine. There'll be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I've given them will be taken away from them. And so, um, and so he basically started to say, because they're not receiving him properly, he's actually going to take away, because there will be no, there's no fruit on the tree. Israel is known as the fig tree. And when Jesus came to the fig tree to find the fruit of the kingdom, there was no fruit. Bethany is known as the house of fruit, the house of figs. That's the place where you go to find the fruit. And so if we look at the last week of Jesus' life, I'm going to just run through it quickly. And we're not going to go there now, but you can check this out at home. From Matthew um, 21 to about Matthew, I think it's about Matthew 26, are really the last, this last little interaction, the last week of his life uh, before they crucify him. And so I want to just quickly give you an overview of that week because I, th- I think it's important to have a look at as we grapple with what does he think about our churches today and what will he think of this church. He comes to Israel in, in Matthew 21 verse 12. And um, 
Jesus enters the temple. Remember the story? He comes to Israel. People are like, hey, welcome, son of David. They put in their palm, their palm branches, waving palm branches. He comes in riding on a donkey, and he goes straight to the temple. Now, the temple is supposed to be the center of worship. It's a place where, I mean, if anyone receives him properly, it should be there. And when he goes to the temple, can you remember what he does? He finds guys buying and selling stuff that they're not supposed to do in parts. And so he's, he pulls out a whip. And he starts driving them out of the temple and flipping over tables. And he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer for the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. You've corrupted my house. And so Israel isn't happy with him. They don't like this Jesus. They want the Jesus that's going to come and defeat Rome, not the one that's going to rebuke them. And so they get really angry. And uh, out of interest, do you know that Jesus did that twice? Guess, guess was the first time he was, went to the temple was uh, that we know and he did that was when he started his ministry he gets baptized by john the baptist he goes into the wilderness he comes out first thing he does the wedding in cana he turns the water into wine the second thing he does is he goes to jerusalem goes to the temple and he finds it's not like he's looking for he flips over tables drives the guys out with a whip and says my father's a house be a house of prayer for the nations now at the end of his ministry three years later he comes back and they haven't listened remember he said here I am, I knock. He'd knocked the first time, and they hadn't received him, they hadn't listened, and they weren't actually interested in serving him. And so what happens is they get angry with him, and they start to say, who do you think you are? Who gives you authority to do this? And they, they actually really, really miff with him. And, um, it's, it's <laughs> and then the children start praising him. And what do the, what the, what the Pharisees and the guys say? How can you let children sing your praises? And he says, well, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. But actually, it's been an ugly day. Who's ever been rejected by somebody when you've kind of gone in there and they have reacted to you instead of responding? So they're arguing with him and fighting with him. And guess where he goes at the end of that ugly day? He goes to Bethany in verse 17 of Matthew 21. And here he spends the evening with his friends in Bethany. Next morning, verse 18 he goes back to Jerusalem, and on the way, he sees a fig tree. We all know the story. Fig tree's got leaves on it. In Israel, when the fig tree's got leaves on it, it normally means fruit and leaves come at the same time. And so he sees the fig tree, and he's hungry, and he goes to look for fruit. And he finds leaves, but no fruit. Now, remember this. You'll have a form of godliness, but a denying of the power thereof. He comes at a tree that looks like it should be fruit. It's got the temple. It's got the priests. It's got the sacrifices. It's got everything that looks outwardly like what the church of its time should look like. But when he looks through the leaves, through its religion, he doesn't find figs. He doesn't find kingdom fruit. He doesn't find what he's looking for. He actually finds nothing. And so he curses the fig tree. And in a sense, what is he doing? It's a prophetic picture of actually what we read in Jeremiah. God's saying, I built you as a fig tree to bear fruit from me, but you didn't yield to me. You didn't receive me, you didn't listen to me, and you didn't serve me. And so, actually, I'm cursing that thing. And the fig tree withers up and dies. And the disciples are like, whoa, how did you do that? And they miss the point. He's actually giving a graphic picture of what he would do to the nation of Israel in that sense. Now, when I say rejects them, not all Israel was rejected. Because guess what? Bethany are part of Israel. He rejected that system. He rejected the whole thing. But within Israel, there are those that are Bethany's. And, and so he goes to the, the temple, and I'm literally finishing this in five minutes. He arrives, and, uh, and maybe if you've got leaves and no fruit, that tells me that you've got a pastor you could have tithes, you could have offerings, you could have worship, you could have all the stuff. Because that's what they had. But not having the proper fruit that he's looking for. So he spends the day from verse 23, 21, 23 to 22, 35. He spends the day in the temple again. And this time, every single Jewish group in Israel has a chance with him. And I'll give you the, the names of the groups that actually spoke to him on that day. The chief priests spoke to him, if you go look, read through that. The elders spoke to him. The Pharisees spoke to him. The Herodians spoke to him. The Sadducees spoke to him. The experts in the law. Basically, every single group in Israel. That would be the equivalent today of the AOG came and spoke to him. 
the Methodists came and spoke to him. The Josh Jenners, every single group came to speak to him. There were no other groups in Israel. And do you know what they did? They argued with him for a day. They debated with him. They didn't actually like what he said. And then finally in verse 2246, he said this. This is what it says. So at the end of this day of arguing with him, no one dared to ask him any more questions. In other words, they're not receiving him. They're arguing with him. They don't like what he's saying. And finally, he leaves, and he leaves Jerusalem, and he says this in Matthew 23, 39. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. You didn't rec- Before this, you didn't receive me when I came. And so for I'll tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm not coming back, he says. I won't come back until you receive me as I am. And he leaves. And I'm pretty sure at this point, it's ugly, it's sore, it's not a lack of day for him. He came unto his own, and his own rejected him. Who's ever been rejected before? Sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> and where does he go? Bethany. Matthew 26, 6. He goes to Bethany. Would you put it up? So he goes to Bethany, and while Jesus was at Bethany, and the Bible says there's actually a feast in his honor. And so actually when we, I want us to just quickly look at what happens at Bethany when he, when he comes in. John 12, verse 24, picks up Matthew. It picks up what happened in a bit more detail. In other words, you've got a bit more video into the moment of what actually happened in that last, that last time in Bethany. The whole day he's been arguing with the, the religious groups. He goes to Bethany. Here, a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. What's he finding? The fig tree with no fruit and the house full of fruit. Martha is doing what? She's serving. Lazarus is doing what? He's reclining at the table listening. Mary takes a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she pours it on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary is worshiping. Here, a feast is given in his honor. He has found friends. He has found a place where he's received, he's listened to, and he's served. And the challenge for us today is this. What does Jesus say about us? What does he say about our churches? Because we know Bethany was the thing that he was looking for. The church of the time had lost her way and was no longer reflecting that at all. And I wonder today how many churches actually let the real Jesus in? How many churches actually give of themselves the way these guys did, devoted themselves to Him and to His purposes? And as for us, I, I, with all my heart, want this to be a Bethany, a place that He's received, listened to, and served. And I would call you to do that, because what makes Bethany Bethany is Mary, Martha, Lazarus. The individuals in that house that we keep seeing mentioned who receive him and do the things that make a great church a great church. This church will only be a Bethany if you bring your part. And I would call you to do that because Jesus wants to be with us. He knocks on the door. He wants to be with us. But we must receive him, listen to him, and serve him. Or not. Calls yours. So I want to ask you though to receive him. Because many will sound that last day, Lord, Lord, Lord. You drove our demons in your name, we heal the sick. He's like, I don't know who you are. You, you're like Israel. You thought you were mine, but you're not. But in Bethany, we know that was the fruit he was looking for, the house of figs. So can I pray with you in closing? Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads? Before I even uh, speak to those that are Christians, there might be someone here today. I don't know everyone here. There's a lot of visitors and guys coming from different congregations. But there may be somebody here who's never actually properly given themselves to Jesus. Maybe you've been in the church and you've grown up in the church. Maybe you read your Bible. But at the end of the day, the Bible says that you have to receive him as he is. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ wants to be with us. He, he, He knocks. He wants to be connected to us and us connected to him 
But to do that, we have to receive him on his terms. And God tells us that every single one of us have actually sinned. And sin means we've lived our way. We haven't actually yielded to him the way he wants to be yielded to. We've lived our lives the way we want to live and not given our lives to him as the one who made us and who loves us and who wants to live life with us and through us. And so the Bible calls that sin. It's when I do what I want to do, not what he wants to do. <laughs> and uh, the consequence in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God here and then when you die into eternity, forever separated from his presence. Because actually he knocked on our hearts, but we didn't hear him and we didn't open the door because we didn't want to receive the real Jesus. And if you're here today, I, I trust you've heard and seen in the Bible the real Jesus. And you meet, need to respond to him his way. And he says, if you would believe that he came to die on the cross for you, that 2,000 years ago, because of my rebellion and your rebellion, he was paying the price in full on the cross. If you would believe that and receive his death in your place properly and receive him then out of that place as one who forgives you of everything you've done wrong, washes you clean and gives you a clean slate, and then who says, come, I will come and live in you. I'll eat with you. I'll live my life through you. But the thing for that to happen is he has to come and become the Lord of your life. You have to give of yourself and say, God, I will follow you as best as I know how. You're not going to get it right perfectly, but your heart inclination is, Lord, would you be my Lord? I want to receive you. I want to listen to you. And I want to serve you. And if that's you today, and you want to receive the gift of God, something you can't earn, which is actually eternal life through faith. You need to receive him his way. And so if that's you and you've never done that, I want to ask you to respond to God. And the Bible says he's here right now, standing at the door of your heart, like he knocked at that church, wanting to come in. But you must respond to him. And if you want to respond to him and you've never done that, I want to ask you, to, or maybe you have and you've fallen away and you say, Lord, I want to come back. I, I'm not living for you. I'm living for myself. Please forgive me. Would you just respond by lifting your hand, just saying, Jesus, I want to receive you. Is anyone here today? I want to give you an opportunity because I know he's actually here and he wants to come in. He wants to eat with you. Is there anyone today? All right. And I want to pray for us as Christians. There were many towns in Israel most of them, if not all of them, rejected him. But Bethany received him. Bethany listened to him. And Bethany served him. I want to call you as the church right at the start to give yourselves to being a Bethany. And so I want to ask you to give of yourself to the Lord that way and to respond to this message and saying, Lord, help me and us to become a Bethany of your presence a place that you would come and it'd be welcome. You wouldn't have to knock because the door for you is wide open. We've kept it open because we've listened, we've received, and we're serving. And so I want to ask you as a member of this body, as a part of this community, to respond to make this church of Bethany. And if that is you and you're saying, Lord, I want this to be a place of your presence. I want to, the Bible says we are being built together to become a dwelling which God will advise for it. It is a progressive thing as we yield and respond. Would you respond to him today? And if that is you saying, Jesus, I want to be a Bethany, maybe in one of our other congregations, you're going to take it back there, or one of, uh, some other church, and you're saying, I want to take it back there. But if you're here, you're saying, I want to bring this here, God. Would you stand, respond by standing with me? Just saying, Lord, I want to be a Bethany. I want to give myself. And what you're standing for is you're saying, Lord, I want to receive the real Jesus. I want to listen to you. When you tell me to do something, when you speak, when I hear it from the pulpit, when I see it in the Bible, I'm going to do it, Jesus. When you speak to me by your spirit, I'm going to obey you. And lastly, Lord, I'm going to give myself to serving you. And how am I going to do that? Well, what I do for the least of these little ones of, of yours, I'll do it for you. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to greet them on a Sunday like I'm greeting you. I'm going to welcome them into my life like I want you in my life. Lord, we're standing before you 
individuals that are being welded and formed together by your spirit. And we want to be a community of your presence. We want to be the kind of place that you can come hang out in. Lord, would you come? Would you come? And I want to ask you right now, just as we close, would you give of yourself individually, even as you're standing, just speak to him. Say, Lord, Lord, come. I want to listen to you. I want to receive you. I want to be a Bethany. I want to serve you. Lord, make me, make me and us the kind of community that you would be welcome in. We started off singing, you're welcome in this place, Lord. We want to say we know that we can sing that, but you're actually only welcome where we hear you, receive you, and serve you. And so we want this place to be a place where you really are welcome, Lord, where you can have your way, and that we would love one another here as you have loved us, serving one another in love, giving of ourselves one to another, and giving ourselves through that to you. That what we do for the least of these little ones of, our, of, of yours, we did it for you, Jesus. And we bless you for that. I want to thank, Father, even those that came through to serve this morning from other congregations. They did it for you, Jesus. You know that. They gave it themselves for you. And in that sense, they became and are becoming Bethany's in their own right. But build these churches, Lord, as places for your presence that Milton would know that Jesus can be found there, in that place, amongst those people, because of who they are. And that, Lord, you would build your church here in such a way that the gates of hell would not prevail, that we would be known as a people of the presence of God, a place where Jesus can be found, a place where lives will be changed, because Jesus is among us. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name, and we give of ourselves so that you would respond in us and through us and get your glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.